Well, if that didn't get you going, do you believe he's great? Oh, come on, really? You don't believe he's great, do you? Yeah, get out of my way. Now the man's got the stage. Just kidding. Really, just kidding. Um, man, that's that's amazing to to sit and sing those things about our God to our God. What an amazing blessing. Um, I just want to just quickly say a couple of things. We've got some good stuff happening. We've got a new married couple amongst us. They're not here today. They're actually enjoying their honeymoon. Steve and Nicole were married Friday night right here. And uh, I got to perform that. It was, a, it was a good time. It was quick, short, sweet, and they were off to their honeymoon. And so uh, when you see them, congratulate them. They are now married. We've got a couple of people pregnant and having babies today. We're going to celebrate a baby shower afterwards, 2 o'clock. So uh, please uh, be here for that. And then our meeting next week. You guys got an email from me um, this week about a dinner that was originally dated the 15th, which I know my date people now. I know my schedule people. Immediately after I sent that email, I received a phone call and two emails. Immediately. Uh, today's the 15th. Uh, how, how are you going to do that? You know, and, and so anyway, I had to correct it. But uh, next week, next Sunday afternoon, we'll hang out here. We'll eat together. Part of the community building that we do. Um, something about food and being able to talk to one another. I don't know what it is, but maybe when, when you got the food going in and out of your mouth, it encourages people to talk. Be here for that. Um, we just need to talk over some things and, and move forward in some things. I will be um, contacting some of you this week to get some feedback and some input. So just be looking for that. Yes. Okay. There is a sign-up sheet in the back for uh, food next week. So just sign, sign up for something, and, um, and we will, I'm sure it will turn out to be great. So. All right, well, let's get into where we're headed today. Um, <clears throat> one of the most popular stories that's probably in the book of John is, is where we're going to study today. And, and actually, the reason we did communion is because it falls in this, in this time that Jesus is teaching, uh, and, and he's, he's sitting with his disciples at the Lord's Supper. As we do this, I want to set some context for you. I want to, I want to get you into the context of where we're at you know, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been in the book of John for a long time. And actually, we've been in the book of John for over a year now. And sometimes when we, when we look at things like that, and it, I think it's good. I think that there's been much growth in us. I think that there's many things that we've learned and seen in this book because we've taken time to, to look at it and understand God's Word. But, but sometimes when we look so closely at the details, we kind of lose sight of the overall picture. You know, I mean, you can get so close to a painting where you can see where the artist blotched his paint, but you can't see what he was painting. And so I, I want to just get a context real quick of where John started, where he's headed, and, and, and where we're at today before we move on. Because we're at a critical turning point, And I think it'll help us to, to grasp what Jesus is doing, not just today, but in the, in the weeks to come as we continue to deal with this, with this book. Because, you know... For many people, Easter's over, and they've moved on to their next thing, and they're, they're looking forward to their next thing, and, and here we are, we're just about to approach the cross, you know, and, and, and so for us, we need to understand these things, the, the, the truth is, is that we never come to a place where we shouldn't be approaching the cross, and, and, and so I think it'll help us keep in mind what's going on uh, to get this context. 
at the very beginning of John, he sets up Jesus. uh, In the opening passage, he sets up Jesus as more than just a mere man. He is God in flesh. He is the Word that had always been with God and, and was God, and that the Word became flesh. He came to a people, His chosen people, and those people rejected Him. And as John opens that up and begins to talk about it, he says this in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1. He says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And, 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 and really, what we see happening from that point on from, from John's declaration there and, and into the point where John the Baptist stands in front of this crowd of thousands of people and proclaims, there he is, the Lamb who's come to take away the sins of the world. From that point on, we see John demonstrating who Jesus was through his, the signs and the miracles that he was working, through his teaching, through his power, and, and, and through his authority and, and his leadership over people. And in these first 12 books that we've been through, we see Jesus gathering and, and, and bringing people to Himself. And, and we see disciples coming along. And, and somebody said something this week that I thought was interesting. I was, in a, I was, I was at lunch with someone and, they, and the comment was made that they didn't like how someone used a marketing term about test driving Jesus. You know, I think that's kind of flippant, and I, I probably, if I had heard it, it, it might have kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But honestly, what we see through happening through the first 12 books of John is people test-driving Jesus. That's the truth. That's what they were doing. And we see these people gather to Him and, and, and flock around Him, and He has this huge following. And, 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 and all of these people are there simply because they're getting something out of it. And he begins to teach these truths that they don't like. And they begin to follow away. And in John chapter 6, it actually says that because of one of his teachings, that many of his disciples couldn't handle it. It was a hard truth. And they left. And they quit following. Because the test drive didn't work out. And we come to this book, or, or, or come to this chapter 13, where we see Jesus is, is no longer working in public ministry. You see, it's... it's it, he, he's finished this work of proclaiming Himself, of setting Himself up as Messiah, as, as demonstrating His power and His identity, demonstrating His mission in His works and in His teaching. He, he's done doing that to these people. And we see at the end of chapter 11 that they reject Him. And so what we see happen in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, is simply a foreshadowing of all that was going to happen in, in, in Jesus' life. He came to His own people. He made Himself known. He, he did not hide His identity. It's not like He was a secret agent undercover. It was obvious that there was something special about this man. That's why so many people came to Him. But His message, man, they couldn't handle it. And in fact, you know, as we studied last week, many were blinded to it to ensure that God's sovereign plan of redemption and reconciliation of a, of, of a people that He's always known from the beginning of time. All of this had to happen. So God works sovereignly to ensure that it happens. And at the end of His ministry, we see the closing statement in John chapter, John chapter 12. If you were to flip back there, the closing statement is, is that He had said those things and then He hid Himself from them. 
And he turns and he begins to deal with, 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 with the people that believed and that had been given the right to be God's children. And he begins to deal with them, not just simply, not just simply okay, now we're buds and we're going to hang out. He teaches them solid truth. And he teaches them very pastorally about how they need to continue on. And in, in, in the motivation that they, should, that they should live in and work in. You see, Jesus, he knows that he's just about to the end. He knows. He's already said it. He, he said it to the Jews. The time has come. That, that now is the hour. Now is the time that all of these things are going to come to be. They're going to come to pass. All of this work that God has been doing since the, since the fall. All of this work. It's about to happen. It's about to reach a climactic point. And he knows that when that happens, his people, those that believe in him, they're going to be confused and they're going to be hurting. And they're going to need instruction about how to carry on. And he begins to deal with them very specifically about how they are to live and what they're to do. And that's really, in, in these next few chapters, you know, John has spent 12 chapters showing us three years of ministry, essentially three years of ministry. And over half of the last part of his book, from 12 to 21, there's at least five or six chapters that are specifically dealing with his disciples as he teaches them. John gets very detailed in what happens over the next few hours. You see, Jesus truly is not days and weeks from the cross. He's no more than a day from the cross at this point. He's sitting in a dinner, the Last Supper, where he's going to teach, he's going to be with his disciples, he's going to, he's going to instruct them, and they're going to get up and go into a garden, and he's going to be arrested. And the very next morning, he is going to be condemned to be crucified. This is that point at which we're at. And John takes great pains to show us what Jesus had to say to his disciples. And I think he did that because we needed to know. You know, John may have not written this letter directly to us, but it certainly applies today. And so we're going to take some time and we're going to learn what Jesus had to teach his disciples before he went to the cross. And over the next few weeks, that's going to be our focus. John chapter 13, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip there. We'll just begin reading through. We're going to deal with verses 1 through 17 today. <clears throat> we'll just begin through, going through, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop along the way and, and share some things. And then at the end of that, we'll get to the, to the meat of what I think is application for us today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay, you see, it sets up the time for us. We don't have to wonder when this was. We don't have to, we don't have to guess. This gives us the time frame. And it gives us an understanding of what Jesus knew. Jesus knew it was time. Jesus knew that, that, that what he had come to do was about to happen. And it's interesting that, that even as he hid himself from the public and, 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 and pulled away from them in the sense that he was going to be with his disciples, he wasn't running and hiding from it. He was in Jerusalem, in the upper room, enjoying supper. People knew he was there. And it, it wasn't a secret. 
He wasn't running and hiding from His mission. He was facing it. He was looking at it and He was walking towards it. And I think that's an amazing example for us. He knew that it was time for Him to go to His Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. I want you to, I want you to know this. And I want you to see it and you're going to see it depicted. Jesus loved those who believed in Him. And if you believe in Him today, He loves you. And, and, and the interesting thing is, is that He didn't just love them for, the, for a time. You know, His love, it wasn't built on some waning or waxing emotion. It wasn't, it wasn't on the waves of emotion. It, it wasn't based on how He felt in that morning when He woke up. It was a decision of His will. An active love to act in their best interest. To, to do something that was sacrificial for their good. He loved them to the end. And it's truly, it's truly this that we begin to see play out over these next several chapters. It's this love that we begin to see portrayed in His teaching, sometimes in His confronting, <clears throat> and His examples. <clears throat> during the supper, when the devil, <clears throat> excuse me, during the supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, we're going to deal with this more in, in another lesson, but, but it's mentioned here, and I, w I just want to say this. Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, here to do a mission. He faced opposition. You see, there's a war going on. And if we think that we're going to do things and they're going to be easy and and, and, and that to follow in God's will, that all the barriers and blockades and all the, uh, the obstacles that are in our way, they're just going to fall over. That we're not going to have to run up to some and take a hill. If, if we got this idea that, that He's just going to pave this path and we're just going to float on through, you're mistaken. Even Jesus, especially Jesus, living completely for the will of His Father, for the glory of His Father, faced opposition. Even as He set doing what He's about to do, even as He set speaking about and setting up this ordinance that would always be remembered and always be followed and, and, and done to celebrate His sacrifice for our, for, for, for our lives, His death to give us life, even as He's doing that, there's something sinister at work. There's an evil opposition. And we need to be prepared for that. And if, we, if we're living our lives and we're going through this and we don't feel opposition and we don't think that, that, that there's any difficulty about it and we're just getting by, you know, living life and everything's great and hunky-dory and you don't feel spiritual warfare and you don't, and you don't deal with opposition... It might be because you're spending more time in the barracks in the comfort of an air-conditioned room than on the front lines of the war. It is a real war. And your Savior, your Lord, called you to it and empowers you in it. I'm not saying this to scare you or freak you out. We don't want to apply or, or, or give too much thought or power to the enemy. He is not God. He doesn't have the same attributes of God. But we don't want to underestimate him either. We just need to remember that he who is in the world is not as powerful as he is who is, he who is in us.
You see, we go into war not by ourselves, but with our Savior. But we go into war. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Do you, do you hear the, my feet? Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. I want you to notice, this is the second time. This is the second time in this, in this book of John's that Peter has said no. Jesus was, was talking about the cross and Peter says, no. Know, that's not in the book of John. That's the second time in Peter's existence that we know of. <clears throat> no, you're not going to do that. I, I'm not going to allow that. You are not going to the cross. And Jesus says to him, get out of my way, Satan. Get out of the way. And now, Jesus, you, you'd think he'd learn at some point. Jesus, I'm going to wash your feet, Peter. Oh, no, you will never wash my feet. <laughs> you think he'd learn. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet. Or, I'm sorry, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Well, that got his attention. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I want a bath. I want you to wash all of me. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but not every one of you, for he knew who it was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And I want you to get this image in your mind. Here they are. Jesus is, is sitting around a table with them. They're talking. He's giving instruction. He, he, he's very likely already talked to them about the Lord's Supper. And they're enjoying this time together. And there's something that's lost on us because, you know, we wear shoes. And, and, and when we go places, our feet don't really get dirty. And when we go into somebody's house, it's, it's, it's not like they're waiting there with a basin of water to, to wash our feet. But these people, they lived in a very harsh environment. And the closest I think I've ever come to this was in, on mission in Nicaragua. As, as I was working with people who were very poor and lived in a very harsh environment. And I, would, I can remember seeing them. I, we would get on these, these metal roofs, these zinc roofs, and we would lay this, this zinc out, and the sun would shine up and just blare in your face, and it would get hot in the middle of the day. And it was miserable being up there just with, with, with pants and shoes and a shirt on, and they're up there in these flat sandals, feet sliding off of them, getting cooked. And I can remember always looking down, thinking, they got some gnarly feet because their feet showed the signs of that harsh environment in which they lived. They were dirty. See, in this time that they lived, in, the, in this time that, that, that Peter and the other disciples and Jesus, as, as, as they lived, you know, they could clean themselves. 
They, they could clean themselves. And as they, as they lived and, 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 and washed and, and cleaned themselves up, they would go out. And when they'd come into someone's house, it was an act of, 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 of kindness. It was, it was an act of, 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 of social interaction that, that the servants in the house, the, the lowest of the servants, would wash the feet of those who came in to wash the dirt and the debris away. And here they are, sitting around a table, enjoying dinner. You know what they're talking about? At least, at some point, they're having an argument. You know what they're arguing about? The book of Luke tells us that they're trying to decide who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And they are not thinking about one another at all. Because they're, here they are, sitting around a table with dirty feet. And Jesus stands up. He takes off his outer robe. Takes off his outer robe. Goes, gets a towel and some water. Now Jesus is probably smaller in stature than I am because he could wrap this towel around himself. But he goes. And he kneels down. And he takes this water. And he does what none of them stopped to think to do. And he puts himself in a posture. says, here I am, serving you, loving you. And I want you to imagine their shock and their disbelief. You see, it's not just that, it's not just that Jesus knew he, who he was. They knew who he was. And I want you to imagine the disbelief is they're sitting there having this conversation about, well, I, I'm going to be the greatest, sir. I bet I'm better than you. And he stands up and he comes and does something that none of them have stopped to think about. He doesn't do it to just one. But he takes the time to go to each and every one of them and wash their feet in a huge illustration of, of humility and service and love. And thankfully, Peter, you know, thankfully Peter is who he is because we get so many lessons learned because of Peter's, his, 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 his just speaking before he really thinks. See, Peter, when, when Jesus comes to Peter, Peter's like, no, not my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus reminds him, hey, Peter, you know what? If, if, if I don't cleanse you, 
if I don't do this work in you, it's not going to be done. And it's because of Peter's, uh, because of Peter's argument and because of Peter's d- d- disagreement with this that we see that Jesus isn't simply washing feet. We, we see that as He does this, His intention is to demonstrate something much bigger and something much greater. You see, because He says simply that if I don't cleanse you, you have no share in Me. And He's not talking about a bath and giving Him some deodorant. You see, He's talking about a cleansing from sin. Jesus is referring to and speaking of as He washes these feet A cleansing and a continual cleansing from sin. You see, I I think it's in this passage that we can begin to see what God has been doing and is doing in His people. The, The theological terms we use for it today are justification and sanctification. Now, there's debates about when these things happen. I I don't get caught up in the debates. I'm looking at this passage and I see that there's some point in, in salvation that Jesus calls us clean. And we are cleansed from sin. But there is a process that occurs because of the harsh environment in which we live that we need to undergo a continual cleansing. Justification, Jesus calling you righteous. Imputing to you His righteousness, taking from you your sin. Sanctification by His power through His Spirit. Constantly working that sin out of you. See, Peter, Peter didn't understand. He thought, he, he thought simply that Jesus was going too far. That, that Jesus, you're not supposed to do that. No, you don't understand, Peter. If I don't do this, You have no share in me. You have no hope. You have no future. I must do this work for you. Peter, he's he's, he's struck by this. He's amazed. Well, then wash all of me. Wash me clean from head to toe. I, I don't want anything left. Jesus says, I've already cleansed you. I've made you clean. I've called you acceptable. Now, I just need to continue that process. If you're not a believer, I don't care if you've been in church all your life. If you don't believe in Jesus, you have not been cleansed. You see, oftentimes in our culture today, we think that if we can get people living a sanctified life, that they must be clean. There has to be a cleansing before the sanctification matters. You see, we can teach people to come to church every Sunday. We can teach people not to have premarital or homosexual sex. We can teach people not to smoke and get drunk because it's bad for them. We can teach that, that, hey, you're supposed to come to church and actually give your money. We can even get people thinking that that feels good. And they can still die and go to hell. Because a sanctified life does not save you. 
You must be cleansed by the power of Christ. The call to believe does not end. Do you believe? Believers. Oh, hear this and hear it well. You see, because those those works that you count on, those good things that you do, and oh, I go to church every Sunday, I'm a good person. I tithe, I'm a good person. It's interesting, this conversation came up just before church. I do all these things. Those are not your security. Those are not your salvation. Those are not your sanctification. They are simply the effects of the constant and renewed cleansing of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ cleanses you. He saves you. He changes you. He makes you new. And He begins this process that goes the rest of your life to the moment you stand in front of Him to to receive your judgment. And he says, he's one of mine. She's one of mine. They're clean because of me. And that process began and continued because of his power. And all of those things that we do are simply effects. And what motivates them is simply the the, the thing that demonstrates who we belong to. A sanctified life doesn't save you. Sanctified life doesn't assure you. It's the cleansing of Jesus Christ that matters. It's His work. And if you won't accept this cleansing, you have no share in Him. Believe and allow Him to make you clean. Stick your feet out there. Jump in the tub, whatever. Respond to Him as He calls you. You see, a very, very, very centered message. But then he doesn't stop there. You see, he he finished cleaning Peter's feet and he stands up and he puts his robe back on. And he sits down. And he talks to his people. And as he's sitting there, he asks a simple question. Let's keep going in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. You are right. He has no doubt of who he is. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. (laughs) That would be great if it was just Jesus' job to do these kind of things, wouldn't it? Well, we can just count on Jesus. We don't... We don't have to do anything. Jesus took care of it. No, pretty quickly He lets us know that a servant is not better than the Master, and He is the Master. Do you know what I've done for you, He says? 
And that's what I want to spend the rest of the time exploring and talking about. That's what I want you to see today. I want you to be struck and I want you to be moved to a moment of awe and inspiration because Jesus stooped to wash feet. But I don't want you to miss the lesson that He was giving. I don't want you to miss out on what He not only did for them, but then called them to do in response. <laughs> because He didn't simply get up to wash feet. You know, um, there's some denominations, and I know that Amy and, and Craig grew up in a denomination where, where part of their communion service, you know, they don't do them at the same time, but, but one of the things that they observe for one another is this... Is this is this tradition of, of washing one another's feet. And I, I think it's special. I think it's, I, I think it's important to see that. But if it, if it ends there, if it doesn't happen beyond, okay, I'm going to wash your feet and then I'm going to go home and that's it, then they've missed the point of the lesson. I, I don't think that's the case. But I think we must understand that He was calling us more to do more than simply wash one another's feet. In fact, the, the, the very thing that people point to first is that Jesus was serving them. That's that plain thing that's easy to see. Absolutely, He was serving them. He humbled Himself into the place of a servant. He did what only servants do. That was His style of leadership. That, that, that was how He ruled. Did He have authority? Absolutely. But did He rule with, with this power and control that didn't consider His followers? Absolutely not. He always considered His followers. You see, He was a servant leader. All of leadership, when you begin to study the Bible, all of leadership that, that's biblical has been presented in this way. It's not, a, it's not a play for power. It's not a play to be in the spotlight. If, 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 if that's the point that the leader is trying to come to, then they're missing it. And, the, and they're not living with a godly intention. Leadership is so much more than just getting to say, well, this is the way we're going. It's about giving your life back to the people who follow. Let me ask you a question. I'm not saying this to, pump, to, to try and gain a pat on the back. It's not, I just want to exemplify something. I was asked one night, and I was doing some premarital counseling with Steve and Nicole, man, do you guys ever get tired of being here? Because we're here a lot. Yeah, some days. Some days. But you know what? The people we're pouring into and helping, it's worth it. I'm going to commit to you as your pastor. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to call you to follow me, sometimes places you may not want to go. I'm going to call you to do things you may not feel comfortable doing at times. I'm not asking you to go alone. I'm not, I'm not asking and trying to use some muscle or power that I think I might have or authority that, that's not mine. But when we're doing that, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be right beside you. Maybe not physically at every moment in the, in the daily life you live, but praying for you speaking to you, being a shoulder to lean on for you, giving you godly counsel, being here for you. You know why? Because I love you. 
Every one of you. I don't care if you've been here once or been here since we started two years ago. I can look at each one of you and I can see certain things about you that I see that God can use in this place to serve this body. Boy, we need you to serve this body. I'm not going to ask you to do that and not do it with you. While you're serving, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to try and feed you. you th- why, why would I spend hours and hours studying the Bible to prepare a sermon? I like to sound good. I want, I want people to think I'm smart. Underneath, in the depths of my soul, I really want you to grow in a deep love for Jesus Christ. Because more than any method or more than any program or more than any strategy I can develop or anyone else can come to me with, that is going to change you. And that is going to bear fruit in you. So I make that commitment to you today to serve you as God's called us to serve one another. He served them. He humbled Himself. You call me Lord and Teacher, and you are right. At the very beginning of this chapter, John explains to us that he says it like this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and knew that it was time to go to the Father. You see, Jesus, He had authority. Jesus had power. He is God in flesh. And He humbled Himself. And, and, and He lived among us. And he, he was raised by a carpenter and He learns the trade of being a carpenter. And, and He lives this life, this perfect life. And He deserved a throne. And He got a cross. He deserved worship and adoration. And He gained ridicule and rebuke and condemnation. You see, Jesus humbled Himself. He considered the needs of others before His own. (laughs) Not only did He humble Himself, but He cleansed them. He cleansed them of their sin. You heard Him. You know, while He's while He's doing this, and and while He's while He's acting in a physical way. He's teaching them about being cleansed from sin. He did this work. He taught them. He taught them. I mean, He's teaching them now. He's been teaching them since they began to follow Him. He's been teaching them truth all along. He loved them actively, sacrificially, for their benefit. He loved them truly. And He set an example for them. Jesus didn't do this with the intent that it was just to be another ordinance, I don't believe. 
I believe that I believe that he did this with the intent of setting an example and demonstrating spiritual truth and calling us to this spiritual truth. Calling his disciples to the spiritual truth, who would turn and tell their disciples of the spiritual truth, who should turn and tell their disciples of this spiritual truth, who would turn and tell their disciples of this spiritual truth. And you know where that leads to? Here we are. Here we are. This truth means as much to us today as it did to those disciples then. The principles that Jesus lays out here and and, and works in here and demonstrates here mean as much to us today as they did then. We should serve one another. We should be serving one another. I was reminded of this. Yesterday of this, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've known it. I, I just was reminded of some points yesterday as I was at this conference. It was, a, it was called Man Up. I think you guys knew about it. Um, and the whole intent, the entire intent was to call men to step up and quit being sissies and be a man. Be a man in your heart first. Be a man for your family. And if you don't have a family yet, begin being a man now. Because one day you probably will. Be a man for your church. And be a man for your city. All resting in you being a man in your heart first. That was the whole focus of the whole, of, of the whole day. The breakout sessions, it, it always came back to this one truth. That we must find ourselves centered in Jesus Christ. And honestly, if you're not a man and you're a woman... You better start there too. You might have a different role to play, but it's as important for you to start with Christ as it is for me as I seek to be the man that He created me to be. But we should serve one another. This is some points that He brought out yesterday as we talked about being a man for our church. We should serve one another with time. Let me ask you a question. Does your calendar reflect your commitment to this family. And and let me just take this out of the way. I'm not talking about events. Well, we can all show up at events. Does your calendar reflect the time that you're willing to spend with the people in relationship in the church? Because we need to serve one another with our time. Because we can't serve one another if we don't spend time together. Does your calendar reflect how you're serving the church? We need to serve with our gifts and abilities. Everyone sitting in this room has been given a spiritual gift. Every one of us have an ability. And sometimes those gifts and abilities, they... they, they, We just need to work in them. Jesus wasn't spiritually gifted to be a servant that washed feet. But He did it, didn't He? He did it with pleasure. Sometimes we need to serve out of an ability and a desire to serve rather than simply thinking, oh, I'm really gifted in this area. I'll try this out. Sometimes we need to do what other people aren't expecting. I'm going to say something and I, I I want this to challenge you. Every week, 
Every week. Every week. Amy leaves out of here and goes to teach Zane. You know how long it's been since she's been in a sermon? Boy, that weighs on me heavily. First, because she's my wife and I love her. But second, because I wonder who's serving her. You know what she really loves doing? Can you see it when she stands up here and sings? I love her voice. She may not be the next American Idol. Don't tell her I said that. It's pretty. And she loves to use it for the glory of the Father. And it's amazing to sit here and respond to her. You know why she's not up here all the time? Because she's decided it's more important that we teach him. And that we serve Craig and Laura. And I'm not trying to say this to make Craig and Laura feel bad. They need to be served. See, that's what this is about. It's all about all of us looking and seeing how we can meet one another's needs. And I'm afraid that this is one of our weakest areas. Because there's so many places that we could serve. There's so many things that could be done that aren't getting done. We need to be serving one another. If you've got a talent to be up here on this stage, we need to try and fit you on this stage so that you can sing and lead in worship. If you're able to clean up every Sunday afternoon, or at least some Sunday afternoons, that means Mom, who's done it every week since we started, won't always have to do it. If you're able to stand and say hello to people as they walk through the door, you need to do it. Well, I don't know what to say. Hello! How are you doing? I'm glad you're here. Well, I don't mean that. Well, we need to find something else for you to do then. We need to serve one another. Not just in what we're doing here. Not just in what's happening in this event. Do we need to do this and do it well? I think so. I think it's a public face for people to experience and and begin to understand what's happening in this church. But if it's only happening one, one and a half hours, two hours a week... And it's not really happening. We need to be serving one another. We need to be praying for one another. Hey, I, 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 I'm going to think of Stella. Stella lives in Bolivar. It's not like she can come down here every time she turns around. But one thing I'm sure Stella's doing is praying. You know what? That's serving you. You know what Stella does every week? Is that Stella waits here in town so that she can be at a community group. Every week. She makes that sacrifice so that she can plug in the way that she can.
Stella, if you're not praying, you need to start so that I won't be too big a liar. I think she's praying. We need to be finding ways to spend time together. Hey, it doesn't have to be... It, it, it's it's going to feel weird at first. It's going to feel awkward. Some of us don't know one another. But I can tell you this. On Saturday nights, we've opened up our house. We hadn't, we hadn't totally just said, all right, everybody's welcome every Saturday night because we were trying to work things out. But as we did that, Brent and Heather just started coming over every Saturday night. We, we can't really get rid of them. But you know what's happened in that time? It was a little weird at first. When some other people would come in, there was times that there was an awkward silence. But man, we've got relationships that they mean something. And I think I can go to Brent and tell him some things that I don't know if I could tell to many other people. Saturday mornings, it's tough to get up on Saturday mornings. We've got this, we've, we've been meeting. There's three of us that have been meeting, Billy and Brent and I. See, I, I can't get rid of Brent. And we're there challenging one another, growing together. Sometimes we talk about, I don't know, doors, you know. Sometimes we talk about finances. The last two times we gathered together, we talked about church vision. And the last time we were together, we opened the Bible and we're like, hey, this is challenging. Let's deal with it. We were serving one another in that way by, 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 by showing up, by spending time to, to, together. Does, does your calendar show that you're spending time? Does, does, does your gifts and abilities, are they being used for these people? We need to serve one another with cash. And boy, I'm glad we don't have any visitors today because this usually runs them off. When the preacher talks about money. But you know what? The things we're doing, they ain't free. It costs money. And there's always the argument about, well, you know what? Yeah, uh, tithing? That's Old Testament. We're no longer under the law. Okay. I'll give you that. You want to know what the New Testament principle of giving is? Who did Jesus praise? The Pharisees who tithed? Or the widow who gave her last mite? Hey, we'll use the tithe as a rule of thumb. Does that sound okay? That's sometimes difficult, I know. Man, I know what it is to have financial trouble. But we need to support one another so that we can do the things that we're trying to do, so that we can reach the city in the way God's called us to reach the city. We need to be willing to give and support one another in that way. You know the Acts uh, principle, the, the, the principle that you can gain from Acts about the church giving? It was a voluntary socialistic society. They started bringing stuff and just giving it to the leaders and saying, you know what? Use that to bless somebody. It's yours. What's that do to the Democrats and Republicans in our midst? That's tough. We need to serve one another with our cash. Sometimes you have something that will really be a blessing to someone else. And when I say cash, understand, I mean your stuff. We need to do it. We need to serve with energy. 
Can you guys tell when I'm not studied and I'm off? Can you guys tell when I, when I give a sermon that sometimes I just don't seem as well prepared? Or maybe I haven't thought through it all. Can, can you guys tell that? Can you tell when I'm really tired? It's not as nice as when, when, when something's really, man, when the Lord's really just on me. It, it, it's not as pretty a sight. I know. Because <laughs> I could feel it. I could, I could sense it happening. Let me ask you a question. Have, have you gone to a restaurant lately and gotten bad service? What's that do for you? As you're giving and serving and spending time, we need to think about doing it with our best. Because bad service doesn't really help anyone. It just kind of makes them mad. Puts them down. Oh, man, he didn't just serve. He humbled himself. So you know what that means? We've got to humble ourselves. Philippians 2.3 says this. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than you. Oh, golly. <laughs> you mean I'm not first? Nope. You're not. Jesus is first. Who's second? Everybody else. He humbled himself and he called us to follow this example. We need to be humbling ourselves before one another. And this next one, I I want you to listen carefully. I, I want to be very careful as I speak about this. You see, he cleansed them. Of sin. He took away their sin. And while we don't have the power to remove sin, and we're not, we're not Roman Catholics, so I, it's not like you can come to me and I can bestow on you some blessing that cleanses you. You've got to get that from Christ. But the community should be standing around one another, helping them out of sin, so that when you come in, instead of being beaten up because you fail, that you should be loved and loved out of it, brought to a place where you're finding success in it. We live in a harsh environment. Every one of us walk out there and get dirty. And instead of being a church where we put on our Sunday go-to-church clothes and we put on our happy-go-lucky faces and everybody just thinks everything's hunky-dory, come in to be cleansed. And look at one another with the intent to cleanse one another. He cleanses us. It's His work that we rest in. And I think He's called us to stand together, holding one another accountable to this. Calling one another to be in the Word, as Brent talked about. Calling one another to, 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 to live this life. You see, I'm, I'm not trying to get up in your face and be rude or mean. I'm telling you this because this is what He's told us to do. And we all need to hear it. It's cleansing you. It's going to help in the sanctification process. Our gifts and abilities. 
Peter, he, when he wrote to the early church, he says the end of all things is near. Oh, he, he lived with this anticipation of the coming of Christ. And he says, now do what God has enabled you to do. Serve in the way you've been gifted so that God's grace can be seen in its various forms. As you serve, as you humble yourself, as you live this life with, with, with one another in community, it becomes cleansing. Not that we are removing the sin, but we're being used by God in the sanctification process. And all too often, when we're not connected, it's not happening. We need to be there for that for one another for that reason. And if this passage stopped there, that would be tough enough. But what's coming implies something very personal. And so I want you to say, I, I, I want to say, as I about, I'm just about to read this verse, I want to say that I'm not in any way trying to... I, 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 I deal with this all week. For weeks, actually, I've been thinking about this and wondering how I say it so that next week people are coming back. See, in verse 17 he says... If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Oh, well, Seth, that doesn't sound too bad. That means if I do these things, I'm going to be blessed, right? The word blessed could be translated to happy. I, I think there's this, in, this intention that you, you begin to experience, um, uh, experience uh, some, some contentment, some joy in life. As you serve, as you sacrifice yourself, as you humble yourself before other people, as you, as you live your life in community, seeing, seeing people grow out of sin and, and standing with them as, as, as they do that, and, and maybe sometimes being used by God to point out sin or at least respond correctly when someone points out sin in you, all of those things working together, as you live in those, if, if you do those things, as you recognize that He's called us to do them, if you do them, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. You'll find joy. There'll be contentment. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? Here's what I know. That some of us in this very room feel discouraged. And as I say this, I recognize that there is a responsibility to the leaders of the church to lead with the best of their ability. But when we're not happy, and we're not being blessed, what does this passage at least say about what's happening? You see, if you don't feel like you're experiencing community here, it's very likely because you're not trying to experience community here. because I know there's some level of community happening. I'm experiencing it. And not just on Saturday night at my house. Our Tuesday night group, last week we had four people. It was a good time though. We got to talk about some good things. And we even got to talk about some things beyond that. Beyond the lesson 
about real life and got to pray together. It was good stuff. If you don't feel like you're receiving what you want from being here, it may not be the church's fault. It might very well be yours. Man, I hope you work cups today. Because I'm not responsible to make you happy. I'm responsible to serve you and love you well. Brent's not responsible to play the exact kind of music that makes you feel good. Should he consider you as he serves you? Absolutely. But he's got to do this to the best of his ability. And if you're not happy and you're not able to worship and, and, and you're just discouraged and experiencing problems, it may not be the church's fault and the things that the church is doing's fault. It may very well be yours. Don't hear me being a mean ogre. I'm a loving father who wants his children to grow up and be strong in the Lord. I love you. And that's why I just said those things to you. We too often walk into church as if it's the bread aisle at the supermarket. First, we've got to make sure that we got the right brand. All right, here we go. Iron Kids. White. Ooh, that's too hard. No, that feels like it's that's probably a little molded. You know, I've seen people stand in the bread aisle and mush every loaf of bread. They don't care that anybody else gets a, a, a loaf of bread that's square as long as they find their soft one. But you know all too often that's how we walk into church. I'm here. Serve me. Bless me. I want what I want. Is that portrayed anywhere in Scripture? No. We're here to serve one another, to live life together, calling one another to live holy and pleasing before the Lord. And you know what? We can do it. We can do it because His Spirit is alive in us, sanctifying us, empowering us, moving us. Well, man, my schedule's so full. I've got so many things going on. What if Jesus had been too busy to come? Yeah, I'll get to him later. What if he had been too busy to sit down with his disciples and share with them how to continue in life after he was gone? It may take sacrifice. It's going to take effort. There will be opposition. But we can do it. Not by our own power but the power that lives in us and that's at work in us. Every head bowed and every eye closed.